do so after the service. Um, but thank you for being here. It's a joy to be worshiping with you today. And uh, I hope you all who had a great Thanksgiving in here, everybody. You guys have fun. Some of you are like, no, I hung out with family all week. Why would I have fun? I get it. I'll pray for you. Um, but hopefully you did. Hopefully you had a good time. Uh, we traveled up to North Carolina to see my dad and stepmom. Haven't seen them in a long time. Uh, so it was good to be with them. But hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving. Glad that you made it back here safely and, and here worshiping with us today. Um, and for those of you that have been here, you know that uh, we are several weeks into our series that we're calling The Church, The Gospel Made Visible. And this is all, uh, just like we talked about with Advent, Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation, looking for the second coming of Christ. We are in a season of preparation and anticipation as we look to launch out on our own as a brand new church in the new year. And we've let you know that our launch date, yeah, somebody was excited. I love that. Very, yeah, Logan, thank you, sir. Um, uh, we've, we've let you know that, that our launch date is January 30th, so be praying for that, be looking ahead to that, be anticipating that day. Um, so not only are we going to launch a brand new church that day, but we're also going to start a brand new series. Uh, we're going to be done with this foundational series of the church and we are going to launch a verse-by-verse study preaching series through the New Testament book of Acts. So we're going to launch a church on the 30th, and we're going to launch a brand new series on the 30th. A lot happening that day, lots of excitement. Hopefully you're excited. Hopefully you're praying for that. Uh, please be praying. Let's all be praying together, looking ahead to that date. And over the last several weeks, you know, as we've been working through this series, we, we've seen some foundational truths about the church. We've seen that the church's mission and our mission as the church at Haynes Creek is to love God, love people, and make disciples. It's all about that. That is what we are called to do. Everything flows from there. So as, as we've laid that foundation, we've started looking at more practical things, right? Like we've talked about caring for the vulnerable. We've talked about how we've all been gifted, and part of the reason, the main reason why we've been gifted is to use those gifts in service of one another. Uh, we, we talked last week about growing and working and building together as the church, that it's not just, you know, one person or a handful of people or those that you think are, oh, they're the most spiritual, they're the most gifted doing things. No, it's all of us working together, working in ministry, seeing and doing the things of God together. Well, this week we're going to continue on in those practical things, and we're going to talk about leadership within the church. Some of you are like, man, that's the most exciting thing ever. I know, it is, isn't it? It's very exciting. I'm glad you think that. Uh, so we're going to talk about leadership within the church, and specifically over the next two weeks, we're going to look at the two official roles of leadership in the church that the New Testament gives us, and that's the role of elder and the role of deacon. So elders and deacons, that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to start out with elders for today. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, I love the Christmas season. I love the holiday season. Our family kind of goes all out with it. We put our decorations up. Last week, you're like, what, before Thanksgiving? I know. That's how excited we are. Um, our kids love it. They get really into it. So we decorated our house. Uh, we put up the lights on the outside. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, I'll let you know that I, I left a strand of lights on one of the trees outside. Uh, well, I'll be pleased to let you know that I didn't actually leave a strand of lights on that tree. I was wrong. It was two strands. <laughs> So yeah, that was fun, uh, finding that out. I was like, oh man, this is a big failure on my part. Um, but anyways, we, we put the lights out. I love this time of year. Love it. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, uh, there's, there's one thing that I don't enjoy about this season, and it's the, 
with little kids especially, everything they get from their grandparents and our, our, they, they just shower them with stuff. Everything comes with instructions and steps to put things together. Like nothing can just come all together in a box. No, it comes in a million pieces to put together. And I've realized there's two types of people in this world. There are those that read all of the instructions and there are those that are like, nope, don't need those. I'm doing it my way. So let's just show of hands. How many of you are like, I, I read all the instructions? Okay, all right, and how many of you are like, nope, don't need those things. I'm going to do this my way, and I'll just figure it out. Okay, good. I've learned, like I said, there's two types of people. I am the type of person that, that will read the instructions. So I'll look through the instructions, and I'll try to figure it out. But here's what I've learned, especially with kids' stuff. The instructions they give you are the worst. They're terrible, and they are of no help to anybody. And I have this theory and I've been yet to prove and wrong on this theory, but my theory is what these companies do is they, they make a toy. They decide, you know what, this is for, it's for a two-year-old, this is for a, a four-year-old or a seven-year-old or whatever the case is. They figure out the age for the kid. And my theory is what they do then is they find a kid that age and they say, here's the toy. You write the instructions on how to put it together. That's the, that's the only way that these instructions make sense is if a child put it down because they are useless. They're useless. And some of them, it's like all words and no pictures. Well, that's no help. I have no idea what you're talking about when you call these things. They're I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And then there's some where it's like, here's, you know, pictures, but very few words. And all the pictures of all the pieces, they look the exact same. But you don't have a bunch of stuff that's the exact same in the box. Now, they're all different. But the instructions, they don't tell you what those things are, and they all look the same. It's just completely useless. So that's, that's part of the season. I love Christmas, love the Christmas season, but that part frustrates me to no end. And uh, with, with church leadership, it's kind of similar. Like, there's a lot of instructions out there on church leadership. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really good based on the Bible. They're really good, really helpful for us as we seek to learn and how to do this thing. But then there's some instructions that are like these kids' toys that are just terrible out there. They're just awful. So we're going to spend some time digging into the instructions that God gives us about church leadership, because thankfully, he's not silent about church leadership. He's clear in his word on how churches are supposed to be structured and who is supposed to be leading those churches, and even how those people are supposed to be leading those churches. So thankfully, God is clear. Uh, we're going to dig into this, and, and it all starts, church leadership all starts with elders. So if you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully you do, hopefully you brought your Bibles with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to dig into verses 1 through 7. Uh, this is going to be our main text, uh, but we're going to spend some time also digging into a couple other passages that talk about elders and what they do. So Bibles open, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens behind me, or we have Bibles in the back on this table. We'd love to give you one of those today as our gift to you, so please grab one of those. But 1 Timothy is this letter written by Paul to, you guessed it, Timothy. And Timothy was uh, Paul's young protege, right? Like he's this young guy in the ministry, and now at this point when Paul's writing, he is pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. This is a city where Paul planted the first church, and now Timothy, his little protege, is pastoring that church. So Paul writes him two letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, near the end of his life to encourage young Timothy in his ministry, in his pastoring. And one of the things that Paul makes clear to Timothy is the importance of biblical church leadership. He makes a big deal about this. He's clear on this. And this is where the discussion of elders 
comes from. Because Paul wants to make clear to Timothy, look, if you're going to lead a church, you need to do it the biblical way, God's way, and here's what that looks like. And, and this is what we've been saying for the last several weeks. As we're planning this church, as we're setting out in this new thing, we want to do this God's way. I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to do it y'all's way. I don't want us to just be coming up with stuff on what we think is best. No, let's dig into scripture and see what God has to say. And then we do that. It makes it real easy on us. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read this for us, and then we'll dig in. Paul writes this. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So just so you guys know where I'm going with this sermon, I try to make it clear on everybody. Let's just get all on the same page. Where, where are we going with this sermon? I want to do two things. I want to define who elders are, and I want to describe what they do. So who are elders or who are elders supposed to be, and then what are they supposed to do? As an elder, as we talk about these things, what are elders supposed to do? So who are they and what are they supposed to do? So let's deal with the first one there, who are elders? Who are elders? Uh, so Paul right away starts talking, and you might be like, Travis, you didn't say the word elder. I, I get it. Let me clear that up for you. Paul starts off talking about the office of overseer. That's how it's translated in our English Bibles, that that's the Greek word episcopate. Episcopate. So you can use that as you want to, but make yourself real smart. Episcopate. And it's a, it's a Greek word that, that speaks to the official position of somebody who has oversight and responsibility of something or someone or a group of someone. So that's, that's why we translate it the office of overseers, because this is more of an official word. Now, this is one of three words that the New Testament uses to describe the, the high-level leadership within the church. So there's the Greek word for overseer, which is episcopae or episkopos. Uh, then there's elder, which is presbyteros. And then there's pastor, uh, which is the Greek word poimen, which is literally shepherd. So sometimes it'll be translated shepherd. Sometimes your Bibles might have the translation pastor, but that's the Greek word poimen. And these three words, what we see throughout the New Testament, is that they are used interchangeably. So when Paul or Peter or other authors are talking about the office of elder or overseer or pastor, they're all referring to the same thing. And they use these words differently and interchangeably, and it's all referring to the primary main leadership within a local church. So just know if we, when we say overseer, pastor, elder, all the same thing. All right, we on the same page? Are you guys tracking with me? Awesome. And I know this is probably going to feel less like a sermon at times and more like we're in the classroom together, but this is important stuff. This is really important for us to get right because if we get church leadership wrong, then it can be really disastrous. So we want to be clear. So just, you know, bear with me. You're like, man, he's talking Greek. This is ridiculous. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know. I'm sorry. Bear with me. We'll get through it together. But just know that these three words are used interchangeably. Overseer, elder, pastor, all referring to the main leadership 
within the church. So what we see in Scripture is that the church, the local church, is to be led by a plurality of elders, overseers, pastors. It's not just supposed to be one person. It's supposed to be many. And we see this right away with Timothy. Timothy is the main pastor of the church in Ephesus. And what does Paul say? Paul doesn't say, hey, just keep doing you, man. You got this. It's all on you. You keep doing it. No, he says, hey, you need elders. You need elders. So get those guys and bring them about. And we see Paul model this. Throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, we see when he planted churches, he established elders in those churches. When he sent out Titus, when you look at the book of Titus, it's a letter written to Titus. Paul sends Titus out to go plant churches on the island of Crete. And what does he say? He says, go and plant churches and raise up elders for those churches. So the New Testament model of church leadership is a plurality of elders, plurality of overseers, pastors, whatever, again, whatever word you want to throw there. A plurality of the main leadership, not just one person, but a few people leading the church. So now the question is, can, can elders be anybody? Can elders just be any person, any believer out there? Can anybody be an elder? And the Bible makes it clear that the answer to that is no. No, not, not everybody can be an elder. Elder is not just for anyone, any Christian. What the Bible tells us, what Scripture teaches us, is that elders, the office of elder, overseer, pastor, is to be a, a biblically qualified man. That's who is to fill these roles, a biblically qualified man. So we're going to talk about the biblically qualified part in a minute, but, but let me deal with the man part, because especially in our culture, that's where everybody's like, oh, man, okay, Travis, you hate women. Got it. Noted. I'm like, no, no, let's slow down. All right, relax a little bit. Goodness. No, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, so why is this the case? Why do I say that the office of overseer, pastor, elder has to be filled by a biblically qualified man? Uh, because that's what we see in scripture. That's what we see in Scripture. And again, we want to base everything on Scripture, all right? Like, that's, that's my hope in life is that, because I, at, what James 3 tells me is that as a teacher of God's Word, I'm held accountable for everything I say, which is terrifying, by the way. And what I want to do at the end of my life is say, Jesus, I told him this. I, I just, I, I gave him your Word. So that's what we're doing here. And as, as believers, we are to live under the full authority of Scripture, right? So what that means is when we come to something in Scripture that we don't like, that we might disagree with, we don't change scripture. We don't discard that and say, well, I'm just going to ignore that. No, we, we change our opinion. Amen. That's what it means to sit under the authority of God's word. So that's what we're going to do. So there might be things you're like, man, I don't like what that says. Well, there's some things in the scripture I don't like what it says either, but you know what? It's God's word, and I trust his goodness and his grace and his love for me, and I'm going to follow his word. All right, so hopefully we can do that together. So what is, why, why do we say that, that elders have to be a biblically qualified Man, well, let's just kind of talk broad strokes here. This is a view called uh, what theologians call complementarianism, complementarian view of men and women. And what the complementarian view says is that men and women are created equal, equal in the eyes of God. Men and women, all men and women are created equally in God's eyes, meaning that we all equally bear the image of God. Every single man, every single woman equal in the eyes of God. So God created us equal, yet he created us different, right? And he created us different. If you've ever been, uh, had any sort of relationship, marriage, whatever, to somebody of the opposite gender, you know that's the case. Men and women wired differently. I see that as a good thing. And this is why I love the view complementarian, because 
men and women have their strengths and their weaknesses, and when they get brought together, we complement each other. And that's a really good thing. That's a beautiful thing. So God has created us equal, yet different. And with those differences, God calls men and women to do different things, to fill different roles, uh, to have different gifts and different things that they are called to do. One of the things that I, I used to do uh, at my last church, I used to do all the premarital counseling. And one of the things that we would do is we would walk through very carefully Ephesians 5. And one of the things Ephesians 5 makes very clear is one of the things that God has called a husband and a father to is to be the primary uh, spiritual leader of their family, the primary discipler of their family. And Ephesians 5 makes clear that that man is held accountable at the end of his life for how he led his spouse and his children. I always try to make clear with the guys, that should scare you. That should terrify you to make sure you follow God's ways. All right, that's, so at the end of your life, God's not going to look at your wife and ask, how have you discipled your family? No, man, he's going to look at you and say, how did you lead? How did you disciple? This was your job. And we are not to abdicate that to anybody else. Okay, so that's uh, one of the ways that we're different, called to different roles. Okay, so that's complementarianism. That's what we're talking about here. We're created equal, yet we're called to different things. Okay, everybody still you tracking with me? Awesome, great. Okay, so where do we see this in the New Testament? Where does the New Testament make it clear that, that men specifically are called to the office of elder or overseer? Uh, well, the first thing we see is that elders, uh, that, that office of elders is modeled after the New Testament apostles. We see Peter, and we'll read this passage in a little bit in, in, the, uh, in 1 Peter 5, where he refers to himself as a fellow elder. Now, we know that Peter is one of the, the original 12 apostles, right? So the, the role of apostle, the, these initial primary leaders of the church, the elder office was modeled after their work. And what we see in the New Testament is, is all of those original apostles were all men. So we have that. Uh, we also see that Paul uses the word for man here in this passage. When you see that, that he, he talks about, uh, let me see, just get the, the wording right. The husband of one wife, that word for husband is the Greek word aner, and that means man or husband. Some Greek words kind of have this broad strokes like all of mankind, men and women. That word doesn't. He's using male-specific language here. He doesn't use any female language talking about women or wives at all in these qualifications of elders. But he does in the qualifications of deacons. So we're going to jump to that next week, and we're going to see that Paul does use the Greek word for women in there, allowing us to have men and women deacons. But when it comes to elders, Paul uses male-specific language here. So that's another reason. Um, and then uh, we see that, that leading in the church is similar to leading in the family, right? Like I said, men are called to be the primary spiritual leaders of their family. They are also called to be the primary spiritual leaders within the church. And Paul here in 1 Timothy even calls men to step up and to lead in the church. Now, uh, we're going to read where he says this right now. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And it says this, and these are some controversial verses, so uh, I'm going to kind of fly at a high level here, um, but just bear with me, and, and hopefully it will make sense to all of us here. Uh, but there's a lot, a lot of opinions about these verses. So let me read it, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now you might be, look, Travis, see, I, I knew it. You hated women, and so does Paul. I knew it. No, no. Let me, let me explain, because the, the translation here, especially with the ESV, that's what we're reading. It's a word-for-word -word translation. It can get a little clunky at times. So let me just try to, to smooth this out. See, when Paul links teach 
and exercise authority, he's talking about it in a, a spiritual authoritative way. Because just below this, right, I mean, you got to remember, this is a letter. So the, these chapters and verses weren't added until hundreds and hundreds of years later after this was written. So these weren't here. This wasn't in Paul's mind when he was writing these chapters and verses. It was all a free-flowing, one-thought letter all linked together. So when he talks about teaching and exercise authority, just a few verses down, he talks about elders exercising authority and teaching. So what we see here is that when he says, I, I don't want a woman to teach or exercise authority, he's talking about specifically in the spiritual authority that is reserved for pastors, elders, and overseers. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's saying here. So that's what he's talking about. And when he, so when he links this, uh, this authority and teaching, that, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these specific roles. So he, he's telling Timothy uh, not to let a woman lead or teach, not because they're inferior, not because they wouldn't do a phenomenal job at it, not because they're incapable of doing it. That's not why he's saying, don't let them do this. He's saying, don't let them do this because it's your job, Timothy. It's your job, elders. It's your job, men. Don't step back and be passive. No, you step up and you fulfill the role that God has specifically called you to. This is your job. Don't give it to somebody else. This is on you. That's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, so that's why he says, and you're like, man, he just wants a woman to sit in the corner and just be quiet. No, that's not something he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. Again, you gotta pay attention to him linking exercise authority and teaching. That specifically lets us know he's not talking about regular teaching. He's not talking about anything else other than the specific spiritual authority that God has called elders and overseers to. Okay, so that's what he's talking about here. So what does this mean for women in the church? What does this mean for women? You can't be an elder, pastor, overseer. What does this mean? Uh, it means that women can and should lead in a lot of different other ways within the church. They should lead ministry areas. They should lead ministry teams. They should lead ministry initiatives. They, they can and should serve as deacons, which we're going to talk about next week. They can and should serve on church staffs. They, they can and should teach like, what? They just said not to teach. I know that's specifically for the authoritative teaching that comes in the office of elder. So they can and should teach in the church. And, and, and that includes in mixed gender settings. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where it was like women were only allowed to teach in kids ministry and then maybe student ministry. That was kind of a gray area. They're like, well, I don't know. Is a student technically a man? Not really a man. I don't really know. It's kind of a, maybe the middle schoolers because they're definitely not men. But, you know, maybe, the, maybe the, the seniors in high school, maybe they don't get like there's just the gray area. Like, I'm sorry, this doesn't make any sense. I don't see any of these these divisions in scripture, what are we doing? Um, so yes, in mixed settings, small groups, Sunday school class, can a woman teach? Absolutely. What if men are present? Yes, absolutely. Are they an elder? No. Are they a pastor? No. But they can and should use their gifts all within the church and use their gifts in a variety of way, a lot of different ways. So hopefully this makes it clear that, that I don't hate women. I love, ladies, I love you. Please keep coming. Please stay here. Um, you can do a lot of different things. I want to see you use your gifts in a lot of different ways and flourish in the way the Bible has to say here. So um, that's just some thoughts on that. So this is what we mean when we say uh, an elder should be a biblically qualified man. This is what we're talking about. But not just any man, right? Not just any man. Not just any man can be like, hey, I'm a dude, so let me serve as an elder. No, biblically qualified men. Amen. Biblically qualified men. So what were those qualifications? Well, Paul starts out, let's go back to our text. Paul starts out in verse one saying, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The first qualification here is it has to be a calling. It has to be a calling. This has to be a desire, an aspiration that comes from the Lord. 
It shouldn't just be fortunate to be like, oh, well, you seem like a, like a good dude. You seem like a nice guy. Oh, you've been successful in the business world? Cool, then you should definitely be an elder. No, that's not, it shouldn't be this, this forced thing. It should be this calling from the Lord, this, this burden within you. And here's why I say that, because we're going to read this text at the end of my sermon today. But Hebrews 13 makes it clear that elders are held accountable by God for how they serve and lead and shepherd the church. So men, if you want to be an elder, don't step into that lightly. Don't step into the office of pastor, overseer, elder lightly. Because it comes with a lot of burdens and it comes with a lot of accountability. So we step into this because the Lord has called us to this. So it's first a calling. can't be forced. It has to come from the Lord. But if you are being led to that calling, what are the other specific qualifications here? He says that, that you should be above reproach. That, that word above reproach could also be translated blameless. It means that somebody can't bring a charge against you. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but it means that, that you haven't hidden your sins. It doesn't mean that you tuck those away and you never talk about them. You don't confess those. You don't bring them to the light. No, it means that, that you're blameless. Somebody can't bring a charge against you. It says that they are to be a husband, the husband of one wife. Literally, a one-woman man is what that translates to in the Greek. This means that he is to be fully devoted to his wife. An elder is to have a godly and faithful and strong marriage. This is his first and most important ministry. Too often, I've heard of so many stories or so many things about guys who have sacrificed their marriage and their family on the altar of ministry. And that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. We see here in these qualifications, they're to love and lead their spouse and their children well, to devote themselves to their family first and foremost. So the husband of one wife, sober-minded. Uh, this is a word that means clear-headed, level-headed, sensible. You're not just gunning from the hip all the time. No, you, you're clear-headed. You're, you're level-headed. Uh, the next one there links together with that, self-controlled. It's exactly what it sounds like, self-control. We all know what that means. doesn't mean that we always practice self-control, but we know what it means, right? So we're to be self-controlled. Respectable, that's a word that means uh, that, that an elder, an overseer, a pastor is to have characteristics that evoke admiration. Uh, they're to be honorable in the way they act, in the way they live, in the way they talk. All these things are supposed to be respectable. Hospitable, hospitable. That, that word hospitable in your Bibles means specifically the love for the stranger. The love for the stranger. Elders are to be hospitable. They're to be opening up their homes to those they don't know, those within the church and those with outside the church. Elders are to be on the front lines of ministry in all areas, and that includes evangelism. We're to set the standard. We're to lead the way in this. We are to be hospitable. Able to teach, able to teach. And this is the, the one and only skill that you see here in these qualifications, able to teach. An elder should be able to teach. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, but, but what are they supposed to be able to teach? The Bible. The Bible. Amen. Elders are, are supposed to know their Bibles. They're supposed to dig deep into Scripture and be able to explain and teach that to other believers. That, that means that, that elders should, again, spend time in their Bibles. They should be soaking this in. They should also have knowledge of theology and doctrine so that when, when your church members come and ask a question, they know that, man, I, I can go to these guys. I can trust that they're going to give me an answer based on Scripture because they know the Word. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. We're to set the stage and, and set the way in that. Not a drunkard, exactly what it sounds like. Doesn't mean you can't have a glass of wine, but it means you can't be uh, held hostage to that glass of wine, right? Like we can't uh, be devoted to wine over Jesus. Uh, you can't be a drunkard. You can't be an alcoholic and lead the church at the same time. That's just not a good, uh, not a good example to set. Uh, another one that it says here, not violent. Uh, not violent, but gentle. So not violent could be translated, uh, not a bully. Not a bully, 
not combative, not ready to fight, doesn't have a short fuse, so not violent, but is gentle, kind, gracious, patient. Not quarrelsome. It means that there is to, to be a lack of conflict or contention with this person. He, he is to be a, a peaceful person, not a, a fighter, not a, a raising of conflict. A lover of money, not a lover of money. Doesn't mean that you can't have money. Doesn't mean you can't be successful. Doesn't mean you can't have some sort of wealth. That's not what it says here. What it means is you're not to be greedy. And we see this all throughout Scripture. This should not be a surprise to any of us to see this as a qualification. We are, we are, you know, Paul says money's not the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. So not a lover of money, not greedy. It says to manage his household well. Now, does this mean that your kids have to be perfect? I sure hope not. Um, don't pay attention to mine too much. No, I'm just kidding. They're great. Um, it doesn't mean you have to have perfect kids, all right? It does, that's not what it's asking for. It's not asking for this perfect household where nothing goes wrong, where there's never any issues, there's never any strife, there's never any disagreements. That's not what it's talking about. It, it goes back to similar to what he talked about in marriage. Is this man, is this elder, this overseer, does he love his wife? Does he love his kids? Does he care for them? Does he provide for them? Does he lead them the way he should? Does he disciple his family? And when you test against these qualifications, a question needs to be asked, how do you treat your wife and kids? Oh, and you don't ask the guy that because you don't, you know, he's going to say whatever. You ask his wife. You want a real answer, you ask the wife. What, how does he treat you? How does he treat your kids? We're, we're to love our children and lead them well. Not a recent convert. And this makes sense, right? We're, we're to be leaders in the church. You can't just have gotten to know Jesus and then lead other people to Jesus. That's not typically how it's supposed to work. This person is to be a mature disciple of Jesus. And then the last qualification that Paul lists, it says, well thought of by outsiders. What this means is, is does this person have a good reputation outside the church, especially amongst non-believers? The question to be asked is, is would, this, uh, would, would the coworkers or neighbors or extended family members of this person be surprised that he's an elder? They go, oh, that guy's an elder? Oh, y'all must have not done too much of a deep dive. Let me tell you about that guy. Let me tell you how he acts. Let me tell you how he treats people. Let me tell you what he's really like outside of church. No, it would be well thought of by outsiders as well. And look, what you should see in this is there's nothing unique and special about these qualifications. Again, the only skill is to be able to teach. But what we see here is with these qualifications, these are qualifications of a mature believer. These are qualifications of somebody who has devoted their life to Jesus. And look, these are not qualifications just for elders. You're like, well, hey, I'm not a dude, so I don't have to follow these things. I can be a lover of money all day long. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. All right, no, no. No, these, these are qualifications that all of us should aspire to, right? Again, we're, we're to be mature believers. This is something that we should all work towards. And when it comes to specifically elders and pastors, these are the qualifications that, that as a church we are to test against. We are to see, are, these, are, are the men that we are bringing before the church and installing as elders, do they meet these qualifications? Doesn't mean that there's perfection, right? Nobody's perfect at all. There are some qualifications that you, you even mess up once with and you should automatically be disqualified. We can talk about that another time. Doesn't demand perfection here. But the question to ask is, is this person, is this man displaying consistency in these areas? Is there a consistent pattern of growth in these areas? So that's our responsibility as a church. We, we are to test these qualifications against any potential pastor, elder, overseer. And here's the deal. Church, another responsibility that, that we all have together is to hold your elders and pastors accountable to these qualifications. 
We, we hold one another accountable to that. Elders hold one another accountable. The church is at, at large holds one another accountable. And leaders are not somehow just exempt from that. That's not how it's supposed to work. Okay, so that's who the elders are supposed to be, a biblically qualified, called man. All right, so that's elders, pastors, overseers. That's who they're supposed to be. Now let's talk about, this is our last point for the day, but, but what do elders do? What are elders supposed to do? So we know who, who is supposed to lead the church. We know the things that, that we're supposed to look for in leaders of the church, but now like, what do they do? What, what are they supposed to do? I mean, thankfully, the, the Bible speaks this, and it talks about what, what godly authority and leadership looks like. And, and thankfully, we have that because we're in a culture right now, and sometimes rightfully so, that is just susceptible of any type of spiritual oversight and authority. You're like, no, I'm a believer, priesthood of all believers, right? Like, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. I can pray when I want to. I don't have to go through you. And now you're telling me, like, not, I'm, I'm a Christian, but now I have to answer to this group of guys, whoever they are, whatever they're doing. I don't even know. Like, I'm supposed to answer to them and be spiritually accountable to those people. That's weird. I know it can be at times, but yes, that's exactly what the Bible calls us to. And when we do it the right way, when we follow God's word in this, it's a really good and beautiful thing, not just for the leaders, but, but for all of us as individual believers. Again, what we saw with Ephesians chapter four, God calls spiritual leaders to help equip the saints, to help them grow, to help them mature. This is a, when it goes right, when it goes according to God's ways, this is a beautiful and awesome thing. All right, so don't, you might just like, I hate all sorts of authority. I get it. I do. But this can be a really good thing. All right, so just keep that in mind as we talk. So what are they supposed to do? Thankfully, again, the Bible speaks to this. Let me read two key passages that, that speak to what specifics uh, elders are supposed to be aiming towards. So the first one comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. This is Peter writing to fellow elders of other churches across Asia Minor. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's what you're supposed to do. Elders, here's what you're supposed to do. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So that's First Peter 5. Another place that we see uh, specifics about elders comes from Acts 20, starting in verse 28. This is Paul writing to the elders in the church of Ephesus, a church that years later, his buddy Timothy would be pastoring. He would be writing about the same topic to Timothy. But, but when he planted the church in Ephesus originally, we see that he installs elders. And in Acts chapter 20, he's about to leave Ephesus. And these are his parting words to the elders there. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Okay, so what we see from these passages is the primary job of an elder, 
of a pastor, overseer, elder, the primary job for them is to shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. Elders, pastors, overseers, first and foremost, are shepherds of the people of God. So there, there's four things that these shepherds are supposed to do, and I take a lot of this um, from this book right here. It's called uh, The Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer. Awesome book. If you want to learn more about elders, I got that and a couple others that, that I've learned a lot from over the years. Um, feel free to look at those if you are interested at all in learning more about this wonderful topic. Uh, but there's four things that, that shepherd leaders are supposed to do. They, they are to know the sheep, lead the sheep, feed the sheep, and protect the sheep. All right, so let's talk about that. They, they are to know the sheep. They're to know the sheep. Um, my youngest is, uh, is almost 10 months. She'll be 10 months on, on, uh, on Wednesday, December 1st. And she's in this uh, stranger danger phase. Those of you the kids, you kind of know this. Around this age, babies just kind of like they're just susceptible of everybody. Like don't, don't, and not everybody can just pick me up and hold me. Like I gotta, I gotta be sure. I gotta know this person. So she's very like scared now. All of a sudden, she used to not be, and now all of a sudden it's like flipped and she's like terrified of everybody. Um, so I told you we went to my, my dad's in North Carolina. He's a, he's a pastor up there outside of the, the Belmont area. And uh, we hadn't seen them in a couple years, you know, COVID and all that kind of stuff. So we had the babies just impossible to travel with a bunch of little kids. Um, so we finally made it up there. She's never seen my dad, never been uh, held by my dad or anything like that. And one day he was holding her, and she just she does this thing when she's scared. She'll kind of fuss. She'll go, ah, 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 and she'll wave her hand like this as if to say, like, get away from me. I don't want you touching me. So my dad picks her up, and she starts doing that. And I feel bad. I'm not going to tell him that she's terrified of him. I'm like, oh, I think she just wants to get down. Like, she doesn't want to be held right now. She wants to crawl and do whatever. So he sets her down, and she immediately, like, bolts to me and is like, pick me up now. So I pick her up. I even put her down, like, right after that. And she starts crying again. She's like, no, hold me because I'm terrified of what's happening right now. And the other thing that we found out she's scared of, and this was like really shocking to me, uh, we put up all of our Christmas decorations in our house, and like I said, we love Christmas. So we've got three trees set up uh, in our house, and, uh, and she is terrified of Christmas trees, terrified. And she can even see one of them in our living room. Uh, her, her door is, is like a straight line from that tree to her room and where her crib is. So when we open the door to get her up in the morning or get her up from nap, she has a direct line of sight to that tree. And as soon as the door opens, she immediately uh, 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 is doing this because she's just terrified of the Christmas trees. And, and the thing is, like, she, she just doesn't know. Like, she's not comfortable. If she doesn't know this person, she's not comfortable with it. She's not comfortable with these new things. She just gets scared. And look, this is, why, this is why elders are to know the sheep, to know the sheep. Look at, look at what 1 Peter uh, 5.2 says. Peter says that as an elder, you're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You're to get to know your flock. You're to know the flock. Every shepherd that has ever had sheep knows the sheep, and the sheep know their shepherd. It's to be the same way in the church. Shepherd leaders, elders, pastors, overseers are to know their members. They're to know their sheep. Paul even says in Acts 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock to care for the church. God has put you in charge of them to know them and care for them. See, too often in churches, certain churches out there, the, the, the you know, whatever it is, elders, the board, the deacon, whoever's in charge leading the church, there's just this, you know, these are the people behind the curtain. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're doing. They're just making decisions. You're just supposed to trust whoever these people are guiding the church. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. Because in, in that context, guess what happens when an elder reaches out to you? Oh, I'm in trouble. What I do now? What I say now? Like you just have it set up to where there's this fear between the, the, the sheep and the shepherd, and that's not how God intends for it to be. 
That's not how God intends for it to be. We are to know and be comfortable with our shepherd leaders, with the sheep. Shepherds are to know their flock. They're, they're to not be distanced from them. Look, problems arise. Problems come up when, when elders and pastors distance themselves from the people. Will we forget that, that our main job, our main calling is to care for the people, to be with the people. Ministry is all about people. Amen. Shepherds have to know their sheep. Second thing they're supposed to do, they are to lead the sheep. They're to know the sheep, and then they're to lead the sheep. Look at, look at 1 Peter again, 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And how are we supposed to shepherd? How are elders and pastors to shepherd? It says this, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So how are elders and pastors to lead? They're to lead not under compulsion, but willingly. This is not forced leadership, right? Elders and pastors, if you're leading begrudgingly, that should be a red flag. We should know, okay, something's wrong, and I need to figure this out. We are to be joyful in our leading of the people of God. This is to be, uh, again, not, not under compulsion, but willingly, joyfully leading and shepherding. This is not leading for shameful gain. This goes back to Paul's qualification about not being greedy. Don't be greedy. Elders and pastors should not be taking advantage of their people in any way, shape, or form. That is wicked, evil, and wrong. He says that they're to lead eagerly. This word not just means to be eager, but it carries with it this idea of being eager to serve others. To serve others, and Paul links or Peter links this with being examples to the flock. Again, uh, elders and pastors are not supposed to be the guys behind the curtains, just you know pulling the strings and making stuff happen. No, they are to be on the front lines of ministry, leading the way. That's what we're called to do. We're going to be eager to serve one another, eager to lead by example. And he says not to be domineering. It means to not be overbearing or controlling or demanding obedience from other people. It means not, not giving commands or expectations that are outside of Scripture. You see this from time to time where pastors will, or elders will call their people to something, and you're like, that's not in here. I don't know where you're getting that from, but it's not in here. We take these extra biblical ideas and commands, and that, that is just another form of legalism that pastors and elders put on their people. That, that should not be the case. They're to not be domineering. So they're to know the sheep, lead the sheep. Third thing is they are to feed the sheep. They're to feed the sheep. Look at uh, verse 31 of Acts 20. He says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. That word that Paul uses for admonish means to instruct, to, to teach people. Now, what are our elders and pastors and overseers supposed to teach? What are they supposed to admonish with? This right here, the Word of God. The Word of God. This is why they're supposed to be able to teach. We are to instruct People, the, the flock that God has given us, we're to instruct the sheep with the word of God, explaining, helping people understand, helping people grow in their knowledge and faith of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. We're called to feed the sheep. Why are we called to feed the sheep? Well, that goes with the fourth one. We are to protect the sheep. Look at verses uh, 29 and 30 of Acts 20. It says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. So why are elders supposed to teach and feed their people the word of God? 
is to protect them from false teachers, from false theology. And that's what we talked about last week. Like There is no shortage of false teachers and false theology out there, and the internet has done nothing but give these people an easy platform. All right, you can Google anything and find a whole host of information, probably a lot of it inaccurate and unbiblical, but you can find it. And we, as, as the leaders that God has called to lead the church, we are to protect the sheep from false teachers and false theology, even within the church, even within the church. And we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but this is what uh, the church discipline process is all about, is, is all of us together uh, confronting in love and in grace when we see us stepping outside, when we see us straying away. And this is one of the things that, that elders, pastors, overseers are called to do by God. It's, it's protecting not just from false teaching, but protecting from sin within the church as well. So elders are to protect the church by teaching sound doctrine, by, by helping people understand the word, by, by calling out sin, and by, by calling people to repentance and restoration, by calling out false doctrine and false teachers. Because that, that's what elders are supposed to do. So hopefully we know now who the elders are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. They're, they are to shepherd the flock. They are to, they're to know the sheep, lead the sheep, feed the sheep, and protect the sheep. So what, is this, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? How, how can I walk in obedience to what we talked about today? Um, so what, what does this mean for all of us? Well, one of the things that it means for us is we are to pray for our elders and our pastors. We're to pray for them. We're to pray for them. Hebrews 13, 17, I referenced this a few minutes ago, but it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So as I said earlier, elders, pastors, overseers were held accountable by God. By God, I will stand before God at the end of my life, and I will have to answer for how I led the people at the church in Haines Creek. So just to be real with you, just to be honest, I need your prayers. I need your prayers. I can't do this without you. I can't do this alone. Your elders cannot do this without you and by themselves. We need you, and we need you praying for us. So please pray for us. This goes along with what we said last week. Another takeaway that we can have is that we are to minister and serve alongside our elders. We're not just say, okay, you're the elders, you're the pastors, you're the professional Christians here. You go and do the work in ministry, and I'll just come, I'll enjoy service, and I'm going to go home. No, 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 that's not what we're supposed to do, right? As we talked about last week. We're, we're to all to be equipped to work in ministry. We are all ministers, all working together, all serving together. Another application point, men specifically, remember the words from Paul to Timothy. Step up. Let's lead the way. Let's not be passive in our spiritual leadership. Let's lead the way in caring for, in shepherding, in leading the people of God. And men, here's the other thing I would say. Some of you in here right now are called to be elders. You are. Maybe not right now, but maybe in a few years, maybe in some time of preparation, but you are called to be elders. And here's what I would say for every man in here. Pray. Pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is this is this something you want for me? Is this something you have for me? Look over these qualifications. Dig into these qualifications. Ask yourselves, where am I strong? Where am I weak? Where am I falling short? Where do I need to see some growth? And look, I would say that that's true for all of us in here. Again, these are marks of a mature believer. So men, women, everybody, you, you put your faith in Jesus, we should pour over these qualifications and ask ourselves those same hard questions. Where am I strong? Where am I weak? Where do I need to grow? 
Where do I need to repent? And then lastly, we remember our chief shepherd. This is what Peter, in his last encouraging words here to the elders, says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We remember our chief shepherd. We remember that this is all of Jesus. This is his work. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your elders' church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. He's the chief shepherd. He's the lead pastor. He's the, the main leader, the main elder of our church. And here's what your pastors and elders are supposed to do. We follow the example of Paul when he says, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Hey, follow me as I follow that guy. I'm following him. I'm doing whatever he says. We're going to build this thing the way that he wants. We're going to follow him wherever he wants to take us. He's the main guy. He's the leader. He's the chief shepherd. We follow him. So we follow him. Let's do that together. Let's remember our chief shepherd, Jesus. And look, he's better at this than any of us could be anyways, right? He's the only one that's perfect. All right, your elders are, are just like everybody else in here, a broken sinner that needed Jesus to die on the cross to save us and forgive us. All right, there's nothing special about any man that fills the office of pastor, overseer, or elder. We are all to just be following Jesus wherever he takes us. So this is one of the most important things as a church is to have biblical, godly leadership. Like, like we said, when that goes right, when we do this God's way, that's a beautiful and wonderful thing that benefits everybody. But when we get this wrong, it can go really wrong. And I'm sure those of you that have been in church for any number of years, you've probably got some horror stories that you could share about when this goes wrong. But again, thankfully, Jesus speaks to this. He gives us clear instructions in his word about what this is supposed to look like. So church, again, this is what we're going to keep talking about. This is what we're going to do. We are building this church on the foundation of Jesus and his word. And that includes our church leadership. That includes pastors and elders. So again, pray for us. Pray for us as we seek to, to lead you and shepherd you the way that God has called us to. Pray for God to raise up more men to serve as elders. Pray for God to raise up men to serve as pastors. What I shared with you last week, I want, I'm praying, I'm begging God for this to be a church where we raise up mature disciples, mature followers of Jesus, men and women. I'm praying for this to be a church where we raise up men to be elders. I'm praying for this to be a church where we raise up pastors to serve here and where we raise up pastors to send them out to plant more churches. Pray for that. Let's beg God for that. Pray for God to continue to raise up godly women to serve and lead with their gifts. And let us all always remember our chief shepherd. May we follow him wherever he's going to take this thing. We trust him. We look to him for all things. Church, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as we've been doing, the band's going to come. And we're going to enter into this time of communion. And communion is a time for believers only. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, this time is specifically for you. And the reason it's specifically for you is because communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, is a moment for us as believers to remember what Jesus has done for us. To remember the gospel. Remember that the Bible says all of us, all of us, including me, including your elders, every single person in here has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. And because of that sin, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell 
forever. But what the gospel tells us is that in love for us, Jesus came and gave his life for ours. He took our place on the cross. And through faith in him, we have forgiveness. We have salvation. We have redemption and freedom. That's what communion is. So as we come to communion, as we prepare our hearts, and as you're ready, as the band leads, you can go to the table on either side of the sanctuary here. You take the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus on the cross. We take the cup and we drink remembering his shed blood for us. And church, again, this is on your own. As you prepare your hearts, as you feel led, go. You take the elements and let's worship our good God and Savior. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I love you. I'm thankful that you're here. This time is not for you. But I want to tell you the same thing that we celebrate. The same thing is true for you, that you are a sinner. That because of your sin, you deserve wrath. But Jesus has another way. Jesus has a better way. And all it is 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 faith in him. Is saying, Jesus, I'm no longer living for myself. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. So if that's you today, if you're not a believer in here, but you want to put your faith in Jesus, I would love for today to, for today to be the day of your salvation. And, and as I pray, all you got to do is pray too. And there's no magic words, nothing you got to say or specific things. All you got to do is tell Jesus exactly what you're thinking and feeling. Say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know you alone can save me. I'm trusting in you to save me. And then come take your very first communion as a member of the kingdom of God. And let's celebrate your salvation together today. So church, I'm going to pray believers in the room, spend whatever time you need preparing your hearts. And as you feel led, go to the tables, you take the elements, and let's stand together and worship. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your goodness, Lord. And Lord, I thank you just practically thinking through all this stuff. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to give us instruction on what we're supposed to do. I'm thankful that you don't just leave us out there to figure out this life and church on our own. Jesus, no, you, you gave us your word. You gave us scripture. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that clings tightly to that. I pray that we would have elders and pastors that cling tightly to that, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy, for the salvation that you alone can provide, Lord. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.